Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Auf Hebunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. We're once again talking about American politics in this sort of occasional series that we're doing called Mr. Bunga Goes to Washington. This is the second part, I suppose, of this. Uh, and we're joined by Nicholas Kiersey. Nicholas is a professor of political science at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. And he also does the fully automated podcast, which you should definitely check out. It's a you can also search for it by searching for Occupy IR Theory. Um, there's a blog that, that, it, that it's hosted on. Anyway, uh, welcome, Nick. Great to have you. Uh, thanks, guys. It's, it's really nice to, to be here. And Alex, thank you for the warm welcome. Yeah, no, uh, it's great to have you. Um, and it's actually where this is rather belated. We should have had you on a, quite a long time ago, actually. So it's good to finally do it. Uh, listeners, of course, uh, if you're familiar with me, I'm Alex Hochuli. Uh, this podcast is produced by myself. George Hoare, who's in London, and Phil Cunliffe, who's in Canterbury. You guys can say hi, too. Hi. Yo. Uh, very good. <laughs> so now we all know each other. Uh, we can get started. Uh, as I said, we're talking about the American election. We are trying to digest uh, what has happened in terms of the Bernie campaign, maybe trying to unpick um, the pros and the cons of the campaign, um, what the reasons for the failure was, uh, as well as trying to maybe get a little insight into what the campaign trail was like. Um, and maybe get some mm. sort of on-the-ground uh, depictions of what it was like from from Nick. Um, and then we'll kind of try to open it up outwards into some broader political questions. Uh, but before we get started with anything else, uh, we need to ask the, the really pressing question. Who do you want uh, Biden to pick as a VP? Um, because I think this is really important. It's obviously the most important position in politics in the world. Uh, and I want comedy suggestions only. So who do you want, guys? I think uh, the, the obvious choice is Biden. I mean, he's a proven VP. Um, and I think the Biden, <laughs> Biden, uh, why, if it's not broken, don't fix it. A right. Biden, Biden bot or Biden, Biden brain in a VAT ticket. That's a, that's a winner. That's it. So I'd go for double down on Biden. You want, you, want, you want Biden, but as a bot, like one of those Westworld bots, when they go into analysis and they just say, you know, bring your affect down. So it's a, you know, it's a Biden who <laughs> probably won't sexually molest anyone, won't get too emotional, uh, will be fine with a bit of malarkey. Uh, so that's, that's so a hair, good option. So hair touching, hair touching down from 20 to like five. <laughs> no finger sucking. Yeah, that, that, that's a good suggestion. Um, yeah, no, any, any, any serious, I mean, the thing is about this, I was thinking about it, you know, when you're thinking about what the, the, the confrontation will be like at, you know, the, the kind of general election between Trump and a Democrat, you know, you think, well, obviously you want it to be Bernie. Um, but if it's not Bernie, you know, I guess Michael Bloomberg would be interesting because it would show what an oligarchy the US is, uh, et cetera. It has to be a woman though. Well, right. Because Biden has committed to that. So who's your, who's your Veep suggestion, Nick? Oh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I don't know. Um, that would be Warren. Re- Warren. Comedy suggestions only, George. I mean, my yeah. My, well, Warren my, my would perfect, be a comedy suggestion. Go ahead. No, my, my perfect <laughs> ticket, even better than Biden. Biden is get Biden out, get Hillary in, and get get Warren as the VP. I mean, that's 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 pretty good. But as long as it's uh, Hillary. That- problem there if i may and i'm probably breaking the sequence of this uh, so forgive me for jumping do it, in do but it. The, the prob the problem there i think is that warren's brand is bust and uh i don't think it's coming back anytime soon i actually think she would be a net liability and i think mm. uh the establishment dems know that they, they, they understand that she's burnt so many bridges 
that uh, she basically was seen by pretty much everyone who with a progressive, you know, that, that sort of not a PMC progressive. And I know that I know the audience of this show knows what a PMC is, so I'm not going to break that down. But um, anyone to the left of the sort of uh, suburban Facebook empathy mom class is uh, not going to go for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, maybe we should talk about that now. That's interesting. Warren's campaign was spectacularly, uh, spectacular failure, really, given yeah. given its potential. So maybe, well, yeah, what is your take on that? Like, how what, what, how yeah, did I mean, she ruin her brand? Good to know. And I didn't, I didn't, I, I haven't actually grasped the the fact that she's completely ruined herself. Um, looking from the outside in, I mean, on U.S. politics, it's not really that visible. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, they've shut her up. I mean, when was the last time you heard anything from her uh, in the media? Only saying she's, that she believes Joe Biden didn't sexually assault anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I mean, I, if she said that, then I didn't hear much about it. But uh, I, I mean, basically, she's been out of the loop, out of the mix altogether, I think. I'm going um, to get a T-shirt, believe Biden, you know, like not believe women crossed <laughs> out, just believe Biden. Um, I mean, it, it was fine early on for Warren. I mean, I think she had a pretty solid... Uh, reputation going in. Uh, a lot of people liked her. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, she had a good crossover potential from the kind of centrists to the to the left. Uh, a lot of them would have been open-minded to her. Um, I can remember even in late 2019, Facebook debates with um, certain people, you know, sort of, shall we say, more extreme leftists saying like, no, 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 she's a neoliberal, whatever. But like, you know, in fairness, even people like Baskar Sankara of Jacobin were kind of defending her uh, online, saying, no, 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 she's more like um, some kind of Keynesian econ economics um, champion. And um, they, um, you know, so, so there, wa there was a kind of a rallying to her um, early on. And there was this kind of, um, even in the early debates, I think in January, a real kind of like, Bernie and Warren back to back on the same stage. Isn't it amazing to have this kind of pincer move? Joe Biden's getting destroyed because Warren's giving him the hard swing and then Bernie yeah. is kind of cleaning up. And it, there, there was a kind of, a, you know, notable amount of people sort of saying like, wow, whoever thought we'd see two progressives on stage going after Biden like this. And, uh, you know, you can even throw in Tulsi Gabbard there if you want and say there were three. But, um, it, you know, it, she, she had it all to play for early on, I think. Um, but uh, clearly just decided to listen to her campaign managers a bit too much, I think, and sort of tried to openly stab Bernie Sanders in the chest uh, with a Me Too uh, argument that just completely backfired and uh, I think eventually just withered on the vine. She should I'm have curious. pulled out. She should have pulled out before Super Tuesday. So you agree with what Trump said, basically, that she ruined she ruined Bernie at Super Tuesday. I think she ruined. I think she already had uh, caused Bernie a lot of damage earlier on. Uh, I think she should have pulled out r much, much earlier uh, before Super Tuesday. Out of interest. Um, so what struck yeah. me was um, and. Um, uh, what struck well, what struck me was how many um, of uh, political scientists seem to be pro Warren, and I was surprised by that because I thought they would see through the kind of the whatever appeal um, you know she might have had. I thought they would see through the kind of the the technocratic veneer, the heavily kind of. 
caked, layered, you know, kind of um, makeup that it was mm. so, so um, self-consciously presented about being about expertise and that they would be able to see through that and see that it was kind of a shtick. Um, so anyway, I wondered, was that your experience? Did you find that many academics were very pro-Warren oh. as opposed to Bernie? I like having a career, um, Phil, and I'm. I not was going to say, I was going to say that we don't need to include this in the final version if you don't want to. <laughs> you can, you so, can, you can spill the, you can spill the tea. The spill tea, the, yeah. the tea. No, no, I mean, no, the tea can, I, I, uh, the tea can okay, end up yeah. spilt, and nobody uh, has to claim responsibility. Nobody has to know. Uh, no, well, I'll, 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 I'll let you know if it, if it, if I feel it comes to that. But I mean, I think, I think I personally did feel a very. Um, upset for want of a better term um that uh, so many uh people in my wider academic networks who i you know are they're not stupid people they're very intelligent but uh were uh, standing for warren um seemingly on the basis of a number of different things but i suppose you primarily would say you know the the inclusivity that she's a woman and that she seems to have this sort of technocratic bent and i think this is uh, something that um, you know just reveals the lie for a lot of even say critically minded political scientists that often make their uh, paychecks on the assertion that um, you know um, we need we need critical methods we need emancipation we need you know intersectionality all of these things and then just sort of when it washes out you know you find out even leading names. Um, in the discipline um, have kind of shilled out and contributed to Kamala Harris and things like this. So, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a whole conversation that needs to be had there. I don't know if you guys want to do it on this show, but I mean... Um, we, all, the, the, we, we, know, we all know who you're talking about, Pete. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and it, it's, but it's, it, I, I think it is, it is just worth making that point that there's a big disconnect between the multisyllabic theory words that, that some... It's staggering. Star, some it's, academic stars put in their in their articles, and then what they actually do, or whose campaigns they um, uh, contribute to. Yeah, but then also if you're sort of like uh, an, uh, a, a, a young career or early career um, critical theorist, you know, you have to name check a lot of people on the way up the the greasy pole. And um, it, it, I don't know what happens somewhere along the line. I think people internalize it, and. Um, there's a there's a kind of a hunkering down or or either maybe a genuine ideological alignment that takes place along the way where people just you know end up committed to to someone like Warren or or Kamal Harris. Yeah. Um, so uh, we got um, we got stuck into Warren um, perhaps a bit earlier than we were expecting. So sure. before we jump before we jump back into it um, and talk a bit more in depth, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to volunteer for the Bernie campaign, what your role was exactly, and how you got that weird accent? <laughs> weird accent. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I was born and raised in Ireland and uh, moved to the States, uh, geez, 20 years ago now uh, this year um, to do a PhD and uh, I ended up at Virginia Tech, uh, graduated the year of the infamous shootings there. So that was a nice way to sort of celebrate the uh, end of many years of work on a, on a thesis. I ended up writing my dissertation on um, Hart and Negri, 
and um, the debate about American unilateralism or debate about American empire. So that's kind of my 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 intellectual background, so to speak, uh, as a globalization theorist. Um, and then uh, ended up moving to Ohio for a position there, spent 10 years living in Columbus, Ohio, and now recently moved to Texas, uh, where um, I have been involved with a local DSA chapter helping set that up and uh, also campaigning for, for, for Bernie Sanders. So what was your role in the campaign? So what did you, did you have an official position um, as a volunteer? Um, what did you, what did no, you do? No, I, I, uh, I didn't take any official positions. Um, I just was sort of a, a foot soldier really um, going door to door, making calls um, here in a, a very, very Hispanic part of Texas. I live on the uh, on the border uh, with Mexico um, and uh, basically it's Edinburgh or McAllen, Texas. Uh, the area is known as the Rio Grande Valley and um, it's a very interesting area electorally actually because it's um, d- despite the fact that uh, you know Bernie famously did super well with Hispanics nationally, um, this would not be an especially progressive Hispanic population um, for, for for idiosyncratic reasons, uh, which I don't um, fully claim to understand, but there is a kind of a um, uh, an indigenous Hispanic population here, which is Texan, going back hundreds of years, and it's it's not necessarily self-identifying as immigrant labor. Whereas if you go to Iowa or California and you have these large um, Hispanic populations there that are more recent immigrants. Um, these are the people, of course, that Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign advisor Chuck Rocha was, you know, a genius at targeting. Um, that's something we can talk about later on. I think it was a really big um, role in the success of the campaign, such as it was, especially early on, that they, you know, they really had a huge ground game among the Hispanic population nationally. It's, it's instrumental in their victory in California, which was monumental, it must be said. It can't take that away from them. Um, but here locally, we have just a, a sort of a more, an older Hispanic population and more difficult to to fire up. It definitely, it's a, it's a little bit post-political down here where I live. And um, uh, that said, uh, we, we did get, um, in, in the county that I live in, we did win. Um, and uh, right. and that, that's, uh, I was very happy about that. Just um, out of interest, the... The indigenous um, Hispanic Texans you mm-hmm. reference—they're mm-hmm. Republicans or they're Democrats, but um, for other other candidates, it's a blue uh, area. Every, uh, the, um, for example, you might be interested in this. We had a really brilliant candidate um, with the Justice Democrats running in the adjacent district to ours, and uh, her name was Jessica Cisneros. She she got a fair bit of media attention. Um, and a lot of endorsements from from Warren, from Bernie, I believe. Um, and she was running against an old Democrat um, in, incumbent by the name of Henry Cuellar. Cuellar is the most conservative Democrat in the U.S. Congress right now and votes with Trump almost more than even Republicans do. So, um, but he is, you know, policy for policy, uh, vote for vote. He is the most conserv- most Trump-leaning Democrat. So the, the, the idea was that, uh, sh, you know, he was ripe for the picking. So she primaried, primaried him and did very, very well. I mean, she came from zero to getting within, I think, five points, which was very impressive. Wow. 
So, so it is a blue area to answer your question. Yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, obviously, kind of at the bigger at the bigger level, um, discussion of U.S. politics. I mean, discussion mm-hmm. of politics everywhere has been overwhelmed by the COVID crisis, and yeah. we'll come back to that. Um, but could you put us in the picture as to where things are at now? So, Bernie has um, Bernie has folded and is going to um, said he'll you know support whoever the party goes for against um, against. Um, against Trump. But uh, where do we stand in terms of the current kind of um, pattern of, uh, well, where do we stand with relation to the Democratic primaries? And what do you make of these? I don't know if they're just kind of on the outside, you know, whether or not it's kind of only picked up on the outside. But what do you make of these rumors that they might actually stand Biden down and replace them with Hillary? Yeah. And and just sorry, just just to tack on to that. Um, I, I definitely don't don't um uh feel like you're giving us too simple um a a, a story because i think the it, it the the eclipse by covid has been very real in terms of mm-hmm. I, I i can barely remember what's what's going on in american politics at the moment i think it's yeah. difficult to get your get your head up and look look at uh across the pond um so yeah get sure. some 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 bare facts are useful yeah. Um, so just to sort of start, I suppose, with where we are with the with the, the primaries, it, it, Bernie has um, hung up his stirs, spurs, so to speak. Um, they, the, 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 the way they phrase that usually is they've suspended their campaign. And of course, what that means is that they're not legally finished with their campaign, uh, which still gives them um, leverage for potential uh, convention uh, maneuvers. Um, you know, it's it's uh, were were say Biden to become extremely ill and have to withdraw, uh, then of course you know it it means that his votes would have to be allocated and you would have a potential scrum for um, for you know trying to run uh, primaries uh, between now and November. Uh, New York, for example, still has to to run now whether. You know, all of these are sort of fantastical scenarios and, you know, this so but but it basically means that Bernie would still have a nominal pathway to to win or at least leverage, um, you know, some some platform uh, policies for the election uh, as as we went into November. Um, those aren't unimportant. Right. I mean, um, one of the things I'm sure we'll be talking about later on is, you know, what 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 can the Bernie movement do? What can it accomplish now? What can it hope for? And, um, you know, those kinds of questions really do become very interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, we just saw, uh, in, I don't know if you guys were following this, but uh, yes, yesterday it was announced that um, a court had struck down uh, New York's plan to mm. basically strike yeah, Bernie that. from the primary. And that's that's now handled, which is good news, you know. Um, the, the, the rumors that Biden is, you know, senile or, you know, too mentally um, deficient to be able to sort of perform in office, uh, aren't going away. Um, I think the, um, really interesting story that's been gathering steam here is the, uh, sexual uh, harassment allegations. Um, I don't, foresee them going away anytime soon. Uh, the woman in question seems to be gaining, Tara Reed is her name, she seems to be gaining more and more credibility as time goes by because um, 
you know, little bits and pieces of her story are starting to check out. You know, certainly yeah. the, the the you know the, the, there's no um, smoking gun as of yet, but um, you know the little anecdotes and bits and pieces of her story are checking out when they're cross-referred to people she knew at the time or documents that may or may not have been prepared around about that time uh, so that there's some witnesses there's some rumors of of documentation being stored in the university of delaware which would maybe attest to her story to an extent um and uh, you know so far there haven't really been any strikes against her credibility except for the fact that she once wrote a blog post in praise of vladimir putin which <laughs> is who hasn't? Uh, who hasn't? you know just you 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 can you can just imagine um uh, how that's going to set off a bunch of these um oh my God, you know yes. warrant stands and and Russia, stands. Russia bots oh my yeah, god yeah you just yeah yeah it's uh, wow. it, it's the real deal here so but i mean um, in, so in, that, in seriousness yeah, it seems that like uh you know we, we know that with trump that sort of stuff wouldn't stick i mean the the whole idea of of trump is in some ways that that stuff never really matters for a lot of his supporters because uh, they yeah. see something else in him other than kind of probity right that's not that's exactly not what he's selling that's, yeah whereas with the democrats yeah. that is what they're that is all pretty that much all they sell selling. so it, it does seem to to bite there right yeah i think i completely agree um the the thing with um with all of this is that you know biden is not a well man either right and so you kind of just at a certain point have to put your head in your hands and go like wait a second like how did we get here you know yeah. like this can't yeah, be real absolutely. this can't be real the certain the certain there's something sort of fantastical about this where you're just yeah. like this is not this is a nightmare i want to get off this train i i'm not happy here um you know i i don't understand how this happened at all so but it's really um, striking I saw, I mean, so I actually recently only watched videos of um, him um, in debates and his speeches when he was much younger. And the contrast is really dramatic and striking. I mean, you know, even accounting for age in general, um, a very forceful, powerful debater and speaker. And it's just, uh, I mean, you know, despite kind of opposing everything he stands for politically, you can't help but feel genuinely sorry for him. You know, they're putting up what seems to be increasingly like an old sick man. Yeah, you know? it's elder like, abuse. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really <laughs> depraved. And that point that was made by, um, by uh, oh, what's his face? Um, ben Judah, I think, the British Guardian correspondent, I think it was him, mm. where he compared um, Biden to a, an American-style Brezhnev figure. Just the kind of, yeah. um, the decrepitude, the gerontocracy and radiating you know just a kind of a political persona that radiates the decay of an entire political system it's entirely right it seems to me that is what biden represents if this is who they choose to put up against trump yeah and he can't even really articulate um a politics uh for coronavirus either you know he's he's um seemingly holed up in his basement uh producing these uh, videos youtube videos whatever that are you know emphatically failing to go viral uh there was this big strategy re- leaked uh, earlier on this week about like how they're trying to make him go viral and they've got various comedians on to kind of sit with him and play cards with oh. him over zoom um and eat ice cream and swap anecdotes because the whole idea of course is uh you know um biden's 
um, selling point, if he has one, is that he he does have a sort of a, a touch of authenticity about him. There were some there were some moments, um, for example, in the uh, when he was going in to be interviewed by the New York Times, there was a kind of a an unscripted moment where he was in the elevator with a service worker. And, um, you know, he just ended up sort of chatting with her informally. And, uh, you know, she was just like, oh, you know, Mr. Biden, I think Mr. Vice President, whatever. I, you know, I just I can't believe I'm meeting you. This is so awesome. He was just incredibly gracious towards her. And, um, you know, that that sort of human aspect was was very much uh, on display. And, and it cannot be gainsaid, I think. that. Oh, I hate saying this. But, um, you know, in in the last uh, debate, you know, he he did pretty good against Bernie. Um, you know, um, it's it's a weird one to frame it this way, especially for a, maybe a British audience, because I know that, uh, you know, growing up in Ireland, whatever, I, I'm quite aware that debating culture is is a is a rich part of the university experience in the British Isles and in Ireland. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a debate win in this country uh, doesn't necessarily mean you slaughtered someone. Um, it often just means you didn't put your foot in your mouth. And uh, so so Biden, you know, maybe not destroying Bernie, but certainly not being destroyed by Bernie. Uh, didn't do any favors to the Bernie campaign at a time late in the day when it was already limping a little bit from having been um, defeated on Super Tuesday. So, um, you know, it, it's 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 a complicated one to speak about because, like, Biden does seem frail. Uh, there's there's more than enough evidence at this stage to suggest that he's mentally uh, struggling. But, you know... I, I can't lie. Like he 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 showed up. He can he can still show up um, at a debate stage. That thing about um, that thing about apparently. Sorry, that thing about debating actually, and I'm, and Phil might get angry at me for for jumping forward here, but um, it does seem like a good moment to bring it up, uh, precisely because the tone of American politics, especially from the outside from from an outsider's perspective, or certain certainly someone who's familiar with with Britain, where. Um, I think maybe even just kind of vulgarity is a little bit more accepted um, and, and where something like the kind of, you know, the so-called dirtbag left and whatever, that whole approach <laughs> wouldn't be so needed in, in somewhere like Britain because uh, we're just, there's more of a culture of like slagging off uh, politicians, right? Whereas in, in the US and especially amongst kind of establishment politics and probably more than anything amongst within the Democrats, there is such an emphasis on decorum uh that and and you know the kind of yeah and etiquette and whatnot that to to try to puncture that bubble seemed quite important from a from a radical perspective and i I bring that up because i wanted to make reference to a piece that came out in jacobin uh maybe two weeks ago or some so on by by Mm. david sirota who's a senior advisor to the bernie uh campaign uh, and who argued i mean it, it makes various points throughout the article but the fundamental one is that Bernie did not make enough of an effort to distinguish himself from Biden in terms of his politics, in terms of his policies, in terms of his record, in terms of his whole demeanor, and that it was, um, in some ways, the, the, the campaign seemed to have bought, bought in too much into the decorum of Democratic Party politics, uh, and that prevented him from uh, really making those necessary distinctions between Bernie's politics and, and the kind of establishment Democrat ones. Uh, do you think that do you buy that argument? Uh, and do you think that that is a real issue? I think there is a, a decorum a tyranny, so to speak, uh, to use Sorota's phrase uh, in the United States. I honestly 
living here 20 years now, whatever it is, um, I haven't ever really been able to fully figure it out. So you may recall uh, Howard Dean's campaign um, uh, and his uh, spectacular implosion over what essentially is a very trivial thing, uh, something that actually you would think would be an essential part of American culture, because if you look at any movie, you know, from Full Metal Jacket to any other kind of, you know, military a film or rallying the the office to a specific cause, you know, any of these sort of scenarios that show up regularly in American fiction. Um, there's there's a there's an awful lot of firing up the troops. There's an awful lot of rallying the boys to the flag. And um, you know, to 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 see someone just so summarily uh, executed in the media for for something so trivial um, says a lot, I think, about how easy it is to deploy that trope in American politics. So people avoid it like a minefield. Um, and uh, Bernie already, of course, had this reputation of being gruff. Um, he uh, was systematically, you know, like before Super Tuesday already, uh, pundits were describing him varyingly as, a, you know, a sexist, curmudgeonly, vulgar, even uh, a left-wing version of Trump. And I mean, I don't so, know how much of this mm. crossed the Atlantic, but I'll just give you a couple of <laughs> really powerful so, details. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry, just to jump in here, I guess the it <clears throat> was the major way that he was constructed um, as angry. I, I mean, there were yeah. some some tweets but it was more than angry. saying that he was he was he was his shouting made their their children or their baby cry i mean so was it that he was kind of breaking decorum um by being too vulgar or was he expressing kind of political emotions like like anger at injustice which are verboten for a variety of reasons it's difficult to disentangle all of it uh, a lot of it i think might be to do with the fact that his base, so to speak, young Twitter using base um, does tend towards irony style shitposting, if I can use that language on a podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, famously, then you had people like Chuck Todd and NBC uh, referring to uh, the Bernie campaign as a as a digital brown shirt brigade. And you even had Chris Matthews comparing Bernie's victory in Nevada to the Nazis taking control of France. Um, so, you <laughs> know, exactly that there the was same. it's exactly the same thing. Right. So <laughs> but, um, you know, so so this is, you know, I think two things going on here. One is uh, if you want to sort of get a bit Noam Chomsky manufacturing consent, it's 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 the use of gatekeeping and it is the um, the, the sort of stamping out uh, by the, the media machine of, of dissent. Um, some of it was very um, fraudulently done, though. I mean, there was a there's a famous uh, clip of Trevor Noah on The Daily Show using um, an edited video basically to make it look like Bernie was being mean to children. Uh, when in fact, if you actually looked at the original video, he was telling them, you know, to believe yeah. in themselves. And, uh, you know, so this kind of thing was the, the sort of more deliberate version of it. But I think the, um, the I think there is genuinely a kind of a guardrail sensibility to borrow a current phrase um, that, uh, you know, is on display when you when you see the I mean, genuine, I think, grievance of people like Chuck Todd on NBC or um, Rachel Maddow is a classic case in point in this. I mean, she just barely was able to hide her disdain for Bernie Sanders in the early part of this year, at least. So um, there's no doubt that it's it's a it's a, it's a it's a reality that any left wing leaning politician would have to to face. 
I don't think it's as bad as the British one, though. <laughs> I yeah. don't think it's as bad as the British media. That's to be sure. I think that might be that might be true. And I think I mean a lot of the discussion on the left was well, you know, that the, they are the mainstream media is instrumentalizing this idea of Bernie being too angry or too vulgar or too yeah. etc. Or the Bernie Bros being too vulgar uh, to attack him, and you know, in a way that they wouldn't do with anyone else. And you know, the British media also did the same with with Corbyn and and whatnot. And and uh, you know, how you respond to that is a is another question. I think. You know, I think we've made mm. the point a number of times on this podcast. You have to take it as read that uh, the establishment, whether it be the media or or political institutions, are not going to treat the left fairly. Like, okay, that's where you have, you have to, that's where you have to start from. You can't um, expect a, la- a level playing field. Um, but I I did want to reflect a little bit on what might you know just this question of tone because it did seem to come up so much that it did perplex me, and to try to understand whether it's something that is particularly American, you know. Um, th- this notion of trying to maintain decorum, um, and, and to what extent it's something that's a little bit more universal, because it it is the kind of the dominant tone of post politics, right? You're not allowed to be angry. You have to be very, um, you know, held hold things together and be moderate and rational, and uh, you know, discuss and things and be tolerant and 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 so on. Um, you know, so that basically real grievance can't be uh can't be voiced, other than to say, uh, you know, I'm a victim. So, you know, you can you can present yourself as a victim, whether it be a victim of sexual abuse or a kind of more humanitarian victim, um, you know, that need, uh, begging for, for help. Um, but to be angry about something, to claim your rights, that's seen as verboten today. Um, and I think that's maybe something that goes a little bit beyond just, you know, what happens in the U.S. I think that's in, in many different places around the world. But the, the American version of that seems to be even more uh, tightly held together by this, by this kind of tone policing and discourse ethics. I do agree right. with that. I think I think it's worth trying to uh, for, yeah, for our listeners do, as well, I trying think... to shine a light on the U.S. from from the outside. Uh, so, well, you know, there's been this um, kind of interesting YouTube phenomena um, this year in with the presence and and rise to notoriety of a, a young lady by the name of Crystal Ball. I, I don't know if I should say young lady, but whatever, uh, and, and her co-host Sagar and Jetty. And they run this show called Rising. And uh, what's really, really interesting is how um, it is a complete sort of backlash against all of this, right? So um, they uh, constantly uh, are criticizing the sort of guardrail politics of the American mainstream liberal class. Um, now, I think that there is something there. I mean, I do think that there is an argument. I think there's there's clearly a, a, a sort of a, a tone policing that that goes on. On the other hand, I also don't know if it's just cultural. And this is the thing that I struggle with about this whole election, to be honest with you. I, I have a hard time. There's a little bit of me that's a conspiracy theorist, unfortunately. And I, as much as I try to stamp it out, this election cycle just handed so much of it to me on a plate. I, I you know, if you look at the data, um, it wasn't just that uh, Bernie was being talked about as impolite. I mean, he was systematically not allowed to speak, you know, that the mainstream media did not give him um, anything like an equal number of words, uh, you know, spoken by candidates as a, you know, in, in terms of uh, how the, the, the various percentages that they would garner on different shows. I mean, this has been studied already. So, um, you know, the um, they, 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 they paid a little bit of attention to him as he won the first three primaries. 
um, and then gave him a bit of speaking time the day after Super Tuesday when the corporate Democrats had obviously already consolidated their their win. But, um, you know, really, apart from that, it was Bernie was was being more talked about than given a voice himself. Now, in fairness to him, I think Bernie's uh, strategy, media strategy this year was light years ahead of where it was in 2016. He had, uh, you know, a, a very talented, um, if perhaps divisive lately, uh, figure of Brianna Joy Gray, um, um, you know, doing podcasts and things like this. Uh, I think, you know, whereas in 2016, Bernie was kind of, I think, you know, n- you know, not having an infrastructure and having, you know, a bare bones campaign to start with, very much dependent on surrogates. You know, he was dependent on the Young Turks. He was dependent on other, you know, renegade um, marginal media outfits that are, you know, powerful and impressive in their own little, little universes, but they're not necessarily going to change the way the mainstream American voter is deciding to go uh, come election day. So I think, you know, um, those those sort of early days of ad hoc media strategies, um, you know, uh, won Bernie a huge vote in terms of authenticity um, in 2016. This time around, he needed something more serious. And um, I feel like he did rise to the occasion. And this sort of leads me to... Um, a question which I think we could probably return to 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 later on, which is, you know, like, was there really a flaw in the Bernie Sanders campaign? Did Bernie do oh, anything yeah, yeah. wrong? I guess, I guess, and, yeah, I guess there's one of our questions. But yeah. Before we get to that. Yeah, um, go on, go on, Phil. I just wanted to ask you, Nick, if you could. And this is what we asked our um, our last guest in the series and what we'll ask the next guest in the series. If you could tell us a bit about the... Um, Tell us a little bit about how the campaign went in your personal experience. And if there was any standout moments of the campaign trail that you felt gave you a particular insight or understanding into the politics of the um, of the election, of the primary, that you didn't have before. Yeah, I think there's probably two or three examples I would give there, but they're going to speak to different kind of dynamics. And, uh, and, and so one would be the, um, the endorsement from Joe Rogan. And then the other would be what happened in Iowa. And again, remember earlier on, I said I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. So I, 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 I hate that I'm like that. Like it's not something I want to be. I'm a political theorist or a political scientist, whatever. I'm supposed to be dealing in, uh, you know, um, deductive reasoning here. But uh, I, 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 what happened at Iowa leaves me with major questions still to this day. But just to speak to the Rogan endorsement for a minute, I think that's very instructive for the tenor of what we've just been talking about, the the civility politics aspect. I was not um, quite ready uh, to see uh, the response to that from the wider left that I did. And I, I admit uh, I, I still am taken aback by it. Uh, Joe Rogan, of course, is um, someone who's sort of been all, all over the radar, both in terms of his career and his political affiliations. But <laughs> in more recent years, he's a he's the most famous podcaster on planet Earth, basically. You know, he, um, he does a, a show where he interviews a lot of you know, different people, including a lot of bodybuilders, you know, about vitamin supplements and this kind of thing, you know, um, he's seen as kind of the ordinary American 
man in some ways, or at least a voice for the ordinary American. Um, he is a sort of a, his show would be a safe space for masculinity and things like this, you know, but he's not necessarily an offensive figure or a particularly um, racist figure or anything like that. Like, I mean, he, he's sometimes framed that way by by some members of the left but that you know any any scrutiny of his history shows that he has someone who's been moving to the center slowly over the years and but but from a very sort of an ordinary joe if you'll forgive the expression um sort of place and uh he basically said uh having had bernie on his show and uh, a lot of people had wanted to be on a show. Warren wanted to be on there. Biden wanted to be on there. There's documentation showing that, um, that and, and, and Joe Rogan show has attested that these people did approach him to come on their show. So they wanted to get on Joe Rogan. Mm. There's no what question about, about it. Did Mayor Pete I, want to go on the show I, as well? I don't, I don't know if Mayor Pete wanted to go on the show. He oh. may have. <laughs> you may have some information there that I don't have. But, um, um, but uh, anyway... Joe just had Bernie on. It's his show. He can do what he wants, right? So um, uh, he says, I think a few days later or the next week or something, um, yeah, I think I'm going to vote for Bernie, you know? And it just, it caused war, you know? And that that to me was just, it wasn't just that it was people were upset. It was the way they were upset. They were really calling Joe out for being um, some kind of... Um, Entity just, from the from the from the primordial soup, you know. So the other thing that I think really surprised me, and again, it's sort of like, well, I sh you know, nothing should surprise me, but it's it's what happened in Iowa, right? And this is something I think people, this has definitely been forgotten about now in the kind of wider narrative of the election. Um, you see a lot of people talking about you know the future. You see a lot of people talking about you know whether we should be a third party or not. You see a lot of people talking about civility politics, but there is a major question mark over what happened in Iowa. Um, the caucus, uh, the caucus, I, as you may know, Iowa is a caucus system, so that means it it doesn't exactly work where you write down a vote and put it in a ballot box. You show up at, at, at a town hall or you show up at, a, you know, your local Boy Scouts uh, how, uh, room or whatever. And or you show up at a, a specially designated place in a post office or a hospital and you go through this kind of bizarre system where you uh, walk around the room talking to different groups and then you stand with the group. Um, that you're going to align yourself with and uh, they then count as the votes going forward from that district for the different candidates. Mm -hmm. um, the app that was deployed um, only a couple of months before the caucus took place um, broke and um, it uh, delayed the reporting of the votes mm -hmm. dramatically, but only after Bernie Sanders being basically quite far in the lead. And so they, they shut it down, um, even the faulty app, that is. They, they shut that down right before, um, you know, a, a bunch of districts were about to report that would have really put Bernie over the edge. Yeah, I, I think mean, it this was, was, this was used to justify up. a coup in, in Bolivia, basically. So, right? Right, I mean, that yeah. But well, I mean, what's interesting is that the uh, firm that made the app was called Shadow, and mm -hmm. um, it had received money from the Iowa Democratic Party, which is 
fair enough, but also from Mayor Pete's campaign. And it had been vetted by Robbie Mook, who was, of course, Hillary Rodham Clinton's campaign manager. And and I, I think, you know, there's, there's potentially two lessons there. But it, again, you know, one is just, you know, don't be surprised by the extent to which um, the uh, Democrats will, you know, arrange for you to lose if they can. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of half joking about being a conspiracy theorist about it, but because obviously that's not necessary. The, 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 the political mm-hmm. science story here is yeah. that the Democratic Party is run by elite grifters and yeah. that those elites know an opportunity when they see yeah. one. I mean, so, I don't, yeah. I'm not, I don't know that, you know, the the notion that Iowa, that um, dodgy things happened with the app in Iowa, I don't think that, um, I don't think that um, is, um, you know, counts necessarily as conspiracy theory. It seems to me it's okay. legit, you know, it seems to me there's enough le- legitimate um, issues there to raise an eyebrow, like you say, um, and given the well-known ruthlessness of Democratic Party elites, you know, it doesn't seem to be an extreme proposition. Yeah, Just before so, we move on. To- but, but before we move on, I think this is an important point to, to investigate a bit more. I mean, w- should we be surprised? I mean, this you, you mentioned a couple of times being we uh, said we're not, conspiracy right? theorists. Yeah. So so what what are the lessons that we can learn from this? You know, we don't it's not the case that the left plays by the same rules as the establishment Democrats. I mean, what mm. do you think there have actually been any lessons learned about how this you know this it's not the same playing field for these two for these two groups i mean do you think this is really something that's going to be in some ways a a kind of a a silver lining here that there's going to be understand the question are you suggesting uh, that what that the bernie crowd should have played as dirty as trying to uh fix apps to make sure that um uh, in case the other side looked like it was winning, that suddenly oh. the reporting system crashed. I mean, what are you it's suggesting? A, it's a, well, it's a question for for Nick, obviously. Um, but yeah, just uh, <laughs> just that the uh, shameless. Just that, that the, you know, <laughs> sorry, but yeah, I mean, just just do you think that this will filter through? Because otherwise, there's going to be potentially a situation, you know, next time or the time after that, where there's going to be outrage and there's going to be shock and surprise at, at the fact that people will bend the rules to to win at politics and that's that's not you know that's not going to help anybody if if the left thinks okay we we need to play by the rules of being civil and, and all that sort of thing do you think it's I, going to be a lesson yeah. learned George, I think it's 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 kind of you got to look at it kind of in the context of a uh, continuum from 2016 to the present day right so we we whatever the left um definitely got um um unfairly uh abused in the process in 2016 uh, there's no doubt about it when you look at some of the shenanigans that took place um you know the lack of transparency in the caucus system for example nevada uh was a particular example there there was there's there was there were notable controversies about uh how the um the the the, the clinton establishment um was working uh with um democratic insiders that were in powerful positions in nevada and other states uh and and part of bernie's concession um at the at the convention in 2016 was to try to introduce reforms that would fix these uh, situations and make sure that they couldn't happen again. And I think that those reforms worked. 
without getting into too many details, though, I think the thing is new strategies were deployed this time to to undermine Bernie. And, you know, so you, you don't always see them coming. Uh, remember that this is not a sort of a veteran left. Um, this is a, a relatively new teenager left, right? Like mm. it's 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 just learning to strut its stuff. It it doesn't necessarily have um, hardened campaign managers who know what all the moves are and know the checklist of things to be looking into as the you know as 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 the the timeline progresses. I I think I I'm not trying to necessarily um, offer excuses. But, um, you know, I, I think, for example, no one could have anticipated um, Iowa going the way it went. And certainly, you know, Iowa aside, because, I mean, in the end, Bernie won that. But the point there wasn't so much to stop Bernie winning as to mm-hmm. prevent him having his victory march, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, you can see that kind of um, effort to sort of put a, a spanner in the works of of the the, the, the momentum of Bernie um, again, then later on Super Tuesday uh, which is, of course, the, the the day it all turned around, you know. And and the, what I would sort of say is that look, um, the Bernie campaign was working until it wasn't, you know. And um, yes. so we'll get yeah. to the yeah. kind of the question of when it, um, you know, when it might have been or what the failure sure. was. But the, I suppose before that, just I wondered if there was anything from your door knocking experience, flyer yeah. leafleting from kind of face to face contact with people when you were making the case for Bernie. Was there anything from that that changed your mind about, you know, or gave you a new insight into the process which you didn't have before having participated in the kind of face to face politics of it? Um, I actually was on sabbatical in Ireland in 2016, uh, which was kind of frustrating for me because I was obviously very much in the Bernie column then as well. And uh, so I, I, even though I've lived in the United States almost like my entire last 20 years of my life, um, I found myself watching the whole thing from Ireland then and and it, and in a sense then I didn't really I never really got a kind of a um, a tangible um uh, sense of 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 what it was like to live in a Bernie wave right you know to to breathe that air to drink that water right and to to be here actually for it was remarkable because of course a lot of you know the the people who were sort of seen as the mascots and the 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 the, the, the proxies, the surrogates of of Bernie last time when he was sort of stringing his campaign together with God's glue. You know, this time around it was more organized, and this time around um, people were more serious about it. And there were some just profoundly touching moments. You know, uh, as for example, as as flawed as as DSA might sometimes appear to be to outside observers. Um, there were wonderful sort of ways in which, you know, you saw, um, I don't know, like the podcast Chapo Trap House, whatever, teaming up with DSA to, to go on tour in California in a funky, bizarre bus that they made. And, and you know, and, and just, you know, in a sense, trying to bring the message out to the people using very creative um, ways of campaigning, canvassing, being original, bringing comedy to it. And, um, you know, that I think, uh, that, that, you know, combined with things like 
Joe Rogan, whatever. I mean, I think it, it genuinely gave people like me um, a sense that there's there's momentum here. You know, this can actually happen. Um, uh, so I hadn't gotten to be part of that in 2016. I did get to be part of it this time around. Um, this is uh, an area where I live, like I'm relatively new living here, so I don't know the political heartbeat of the place that well yet. But um, in the course of time that I was here um, campaigning, that is, um, so many people came out to 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 walk the streets, to you know, to to get involved, um, to canvas. Um, and uh, there's a lovely way uh, of canvassing down here where 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 people are very sort of, you know, open-minded. They, they they make food for each other, and um, they're very generous towards each other um, as they're going around on their, you know, door knocking. Um, I think that that aspect of it was very warming. But it was at the end of the day, again, it is a kind of a conservative area, and so. You know, we did obviously find there were a lot of people who wouldn't open their doors or if they did open their doors, they weren't that interested. Um, I would say maybe of 10 doors I would knock on, I would get maybe one person to open up. And of the people I spoke to, half were Bernie supporters, though, you know, which was which was gratifying because it meant that like of the people I did speak to, a good number of them, a half of them at least were were Bernie supporters and i think that did translate at the end of the day in the polling the results the other half um were well uh a name we haven't mentioned yet uh bloomberg supporters by and large bloomberg uh, we oh, haven't really talked really? about yeah there was massive support for bloomberg in texas massive support for bloomberg um and we haven't talked what about him very much what, yeah uh, what was the nature of that because it seemed to have disappeared and it was always this kind of maybe sort of stalking horse campaign but where there was just such an unlimited pool of money there that we always you yeah. always thought it would never really go away and maybe it still won't i mean who knows maybe i, I don't know what the latest is maybe he ends up appearing if biden dies or whatever so i mean you know what what did you find at least on the ground level you know what what was the appeal of there michael bloomberg a, i mean yeah. so it was a, it was a very um what was his appeal? No, there was no appeal, really, except the same kind of appeal that uh, a lot of the other candidates, because remember, it was a very populated primary series, right? Like you had a lot of candidates running, which is kind of uncharacteristic for the Democrats. I think it was 23 people at one point in time. Yeah. And I think a lot of these people were kind of betting on the same thing. So Bernie's a little bit different. Because uh, Bernie knew, and maybe Warren to a certain degree, they knew that they had a base and they knew that they had um, a voter, a voting block that they could count on. Everyone else was just waiting for that kind of catalytical moment where they would become, um, in the minds of ordinary American voters, the person that everyone was going to get behind. And so everyone was really kind of just like drawing out their funding uh, bur burning their donations until such time as they could get to that point where that critical mass would be achieved. And the idea, of course, and they were right at the end of the day. I mean, the, 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 these are these campaigns were all betting on the same strategy, uh, including Bloomberg, uh, although Bloomberg did it with fuckloads of money. But I mean, you know, the, 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 the idea being that, look, everyone wants Trump out. And if you can be the person that everyone, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, believes is the person that everyone's getting behind, then that kind of crowd effect is going to carry you basically to the nomination. Um, now, now I don't know that 
the Bernie campaign didn't see that coming. I think it um, was not necessarily clear that, that it was going to happen at Super Tuesday, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, Bloomberg certainly uh, was, I think, playing that strategy. Uh, he definitely wanted to sort of take it to the to that to that point, and uh, and and as soon as it became clear, I mean, Bloomberg was going to pull out the same moment everyone else was going to pull out, right? When it became clear that everyone was getting behind one person, and that person was the nominee, there was absolutely no point for any of them to stay on because they weren't going to get the momentum, and they might, in fact end up dividing the camp between Biden and them, and so therefore give Bernie a greater chance of getting the nomination, which was another primary objective that they wanted to avoid. I mean, and the whole process, of course, is um, rather complicated, you know, to put it to put it kind of kindly, um, in, in terms of the need for momentum that these early states matter so much and so on. Um, but I think... If one compares it to 2016, you know, the Bernie thing kind of came out of the blue and, you know, you hope that it might happen, but you weren't sure. This time there was so much momentum going into it. And notwithstanding yeah. the Democratic Party rat fucking, it still seems like a huge disappointment the way it fell apart and fell apart so quickly, it seemed, uh, that it just took mm-hmm. Biden's victory in, in South Carolina and then already things started uh, to swing around. And I think it does demand asking hard questions, and lots of people sure. you know, are are doing that. Uh, there's also a lot of people kind of congratulating themselves for work done so far and what's been built. And mm. I don't think one should completely be dismissive, but at the same time, you know, eye on the prize, and one should be you know hard with oneself. The left should be self-critical, um, and so maybe with the aim of, of doing that, I mean, I wanted to maybe refer to some mm. of the arguments made, uh, you know, some arguments made in Jacobin. Uh, we were just talking about yep. this, obviously, before we started recording. But um, so mm-hmm. w- one of these, to, to set it up, uh, is that appraisals of Bernie seem torn between the establishment being very strong, i.e. the establishment was able to crush Bernie, they, w- they were able to rat fuck him, you know, the, the media didn't give him airtime, all the rest of it. Uh, and then there's an argument which is made almost at the same time that, but you know, the that the establishment is very weak. You know, Bernie was able to break through. The field was split with no good mainstream candidate. The Democrats are yeah. all at sea. They're very vulnerable to a populist insurgent campaign, as 2016 showed. So, I mean, you know, is the establishment when we say the establishment, I really mean the Democratic Party establishment. Is it very weak or is it very strong or is it maybe both? And they refer to sort of different elements of how the party works. But what do you think? Is it weak or is it strong? I mean, I think that is the key question. The the, the fact of the matter is, uh, when you look at Super Tuesday and how, with just I think a couple of calls from Obama, uh, to kind of a, a broker or a range, and I'm not sure you know what the quid pro quos would have been. Probably a, a little bit for everyone in the audience at that stage, uh, but you know, Klobuchar pulls out, uh, Buttigieg pulls out, March first, March second. Uh, Warren would stay in a little longer, but just in order to wreck Bernie in 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 Minnesota and in Massachusetts, um, you know, had had Warren. I mean, the, 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 there's, there's, there was clear coordination. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's it. There were more than one media outlet reporting that Obama had gotten involved at that point in time. So um, again, it was just that kind of. Um, uh, 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 effort to to sort of sound the bugle call and to rally the troops towards a, a signal figure that was going to be the one that everyone decided could beat Trump on the basis of electability. 
the Dems, the Democratic establishment and their media proxies had spent the entire, the entire spring uh, making the electability argument that Bernie, you know, casting doubt to the idea of Bernie being electable. And, uh, and, you know, so what is interesting is how with just one or two minor shifts in variables, um, it could have gone very differently for them. And this is something that I think I personally want to emphasize. You know, you cannot say that the Democratic Party is all powerful here. Um, they made major mistakes. Like what happened in Iowa should never have been made public. And the fact that it was in the way that it was, I think, you know, shows how incompetent they are. They're bunglers at the end of the day. Um, they're very, very invested in protecting their own jobs and their own access within the Democratic Party. They know that if Bernie were ever to become president or if the Bernie wing were ever to become powerful within the Democratic Party, they'd all be out on their ear. So, you know, the motivations are very, very clear from their point of view. Um, but um, the uh, just coming back to, to, to Minneapolis and Massachusetts or Minnesota and Massachusetts, rather, um, you know, the the. The party, had those gone another way, had those two states gone in a different direction, um, Warren got 15% of the vote in, in Minnesota. Uh, Bernie got 30% of the vote in Minnesota. Biden got 38. Now, it's a decisive win for Biden, but Warren getting 15% of the vote that late in her campaign, I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, like there's there's... You know, that 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 was enough of the progressive vote, I think, to hurt Bernie. I'm not saying that Bernie would have necessarily won that vote. Yeah. I think even I think even Klobuchar got five percent of the vote, <laughs> even though she was technically out um, that, like you know, on the third. But, you know, I just I just want to emphasize that, um, you know, those two states were could have gone very differently if Warren was not in it. And if. Bernie had won those two states. They would not have put him ahead by the time coronavirus hit, but they would have made the game look very differently when the coronavirus lockdown started, and it would have really denied momentum. So the point the point is, um, you know, in 2016, there really was a kind of a two-horse race momentum, and Bernie was doing well within that. Adding the Trump factor, the fact is most rank-and-file Democratic voters one have one priority and that's to get him mm, out of there yeah and, 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 so, and, that, and go ahead george go on go on up i i guess i guess i was just going to ask the question is that do you think do you think if bernie had been successful i mean would he have actually been able to 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 defeat trump because i think there are some obvious obviously there are some some weaknesses and limitations in in the the the, the bernie movement um i mean is I, I I don't know if that that's the right question to ask though because it is quite hypothetical and it and it may be yeah. it's kind of wishful thinking it's like oh we could have got rid of Trump if Bernie had won I mean is is that really the right question to ask I realised that I did kind of interrupt to ask that question and then say no, it's it might not be the right question to ask um, <laughs> but but that's you know that's discourse that's debate that's that's um, <laughs> auto critique all of these all of these things uh, it's all valid. Um, uh, so yeah, make of that what you will. I mean, I don't think Bernie has 
I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pick things off the top of my head here because I, I, I don't have like a rehearsed answer to that particular question, except to say countless polling has shown since 2016 that Bernie is one of the most, if not the most popular politician on the on the on the left side of the spectrum in the United States. Uh, he is, um, you know, a real brand name figure. He doesn't have sexual harassment charges hanging over him. Um, I, I don't think is that, that, the, is that the has to be highlighted. Yeah. Like. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at where we are now, you know, is, you've got a major a brand name. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, <laughs> not it, it, a total piece yeah, of right? shit. You know, well, I so. mean, <laughs> we have two candidates vying against each other in November who are, you know, not to not to sort of trundle out some hackneyed language here or anything, but like older white men with, you know, questionable mor morality. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not it's 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 not uh, trivial to me that uh, Bernie would have entered into uh, a runoff with with Trump uh, with some of the most popular policies in the country under his belt, you know, Medicare for all, et cetera, um, uh, you know, not having voted for the Iraq war um, and this, this ultimately not just being a more decent person than, than Trump at the end of the day. I mean, I hate I mean, it, it can be that simple in some ways, right? Like um, you yes, have. I this pushes us, though, to, I suppose, a larger question, which is the um, and the thing which is picked up in the Dustin, uh, the yes. Dustin right. piece, which mm -hmm. is in which was written in Jacobin in the kind of postmortem of the Biden, sorry, of the um, Bernie campaign is the question of the third party, the perennial issue on for the um, left of the Democrats and those to the left of the Democrats, um, whether or not it's worth continuing in this um, fantastically kind of corrupt and elitist party, or whether it's worth splitting from it and um, trying to construct something outside of it. So where'd you fall on the issue? Well, I think I agree with Dustin um, and other people like him um, in, in, in this debate. I, I think that, you know, I, I listened to um, um, a live talk that Dustin gave, I think, to uh, a DSA chapter in Philadelphia. And uh, he, I think it, he, I remember him saying it was kind of like, when it comes to this debate, you've got the kind of clowns to the left of you, jokers, jokers to the right um, problem. Um, on the one hand, you have, um, who are the jokers here? The jokers are going to be people, I don't, I don't know if this name is familiar um, to uh, British listeners, but American listeners will certainly know the name Sean McElwee. And um, he is someone who has sort of made a name for himself as uh, a um, data analyst. He's kind of like um, the, Nate, the, 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 the left's version of Nate Silver. And uh, supposedly he has like all the magic recipes in his cookbook to help uh, progressive candidates win. And yeah. his, his argument again now, so it's clowns to the left of you, jokers to the right. So yeah. th to the to the right, you have Warren and the Warren campaign people who are consider themselves progressive in many, many respects, but are drawn largely from um, middle class, maybe more intellectual um, yeah. career people. So um, McElwee is basically arguing that um, Bernie lost because he couldn't break out of the working class base, right? And, right. and his argument is there's only so many of them that are 
going to be Bernie aware or aware of left-wing yeah. politics. That's that's the most you can squeeze from that sponge. So yeah. you need to be able to do more than that. And of course, this is the basis of the argument in some ways, going back to the Sirota piece just briefly. Uh, there are a lot of people who believe that Bernie then on the, this basis should have been nicer, right? Um, um, this is, of course, you may have seen this, but um, there was a really remarkable uh, open letter published in The Nation in the last week or two um, where Todd Gitlin and a bunch of former members of the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, um, wrote this open letter to Bernie, basically saying that uh, Bernie hadn't been doing enough, Bernie supporters hadn't been doing enough to rally to Joe Biden, and that this was critical because, of course, Trump is Hitler. So I sort of align all of these kinds of people together um, in some ways, right? Like the, the Bernie um, is is on the one hand being seen as as too nice. Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, on the other hand, uh, Bernie should have been nicer, or, or, or Bernie should play ball. I think is is ultimately the the, the 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 combined argument that you really get from it. And of course, I mean, I think in some ways there's some truth to it. Um, it it could be there could maybe be an argument. For example, that uh, Bernie was not the best himself as a person in terms of playing the game of American politics, right? And I and I and I understand, for example, people who are critical of him for not even having tried to court um, Jim Clyburn, for example. That's the um, the Democratic House Majority Whip, whose endorsement really sealed the deal for Biden in yeah. South Carolina. Um, but then again, you know, Bernie is Bernie, and he's never played that traditional political game ever in his career. If you read his bio, it's just never been part of his shtick. Yeah. He's always been a people power guy. And and so the, you know, I, I where I would come in on this is like if the Clyburn endorsement is your metric, <laughs> then you know, you've lost. That Bernie's just not your guy. You can't ask him to do that kind of politics. But then, it's just so not, you lean yeah. but then you lean to a third party then? No, I don't know that I do. I think somewhere between the Bernie was too nice argument and then uh, our, uh, and then the argument that Bernie was too mean, um, you have another position, which is that uh, Bernie is, uh, you know, ultimately uh, someone who who was coming. He he was a, a figurehead of a very young movement that is still learning how to operate politically. Um, I'm thinking, you know, and I know some of you guys on, on your own show have sort of called this moment the end of the populist sort of phase of, of yeah. politics. And I've heard Anton Yeager make the same mm. point. And, yeah. and I respect that in some ways, like because I'm disappointed, too. Right. Like I'd love to have seen Podemos and, and uh, Corbyn and everyone like do much better than they have and sorry, not just become. Sorry, Nick, where, where, where is the, the disappointment, though? Is the disappointment Bernie not achieving the nomination or is it him um, basically kind of tacking behind Biden and and. You know, w which one of those two is it? Because it seems like it was probably always a long shot for him to to kind of succeed outside of the Democratic Party and to, to actually win the, you know, win the nomination, win the presidency. But there could have been an insurgency maybe within the terms of the, the, the Democrats more more easily. I, I guess that's that's one yeah, of my me... sort, of, sort of questions that I'd, that I'd have in this this. So Micah Utrecht and Megan Day have a book out uh, where they uh, just in the last few weeks where they make the argument that, you know, 
the third party uh, contention, you know, is around a long time and it hasn't necessarily borne any fruit, right? Uh, we have got much further this route, this route of running within the Democratic Party than we have with any God other where? strategy. Pardon me? God, where? Well, as I was just arguing a moment ago, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're asking me these questions. I'm glad you're asking me these questions because they're good questions. But as I was just arguing a moment ago, things could have gone very different in Minneapolis. Things could have gone very different in in New, in Massachusetts. And I think that, you know, it, it, what's incredible is how close it actually was. So that might not be enough. I mean, it might be a day late yeah. and a dollar short. And I accept that. But again, the point being that it's a very young movement and I think it's still learning how to operate. So my my point, if I could just sort of to get to the punchline, um, is while I share what I would say is your disappointment, you, you may you may not be disappointed, but, uh, you know, to me, it seems uh, very disappointing, at least um, that, uh, you know, that we didn't get further this time. On the other hand, I recognize that a third party strategy has not really historically borne fruit. We did get quite far this time. And it is a very clear sense, as Guastella argues, in fairness, because that's the piece you were reciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he also is, I think, you know, someone who would be swapping battle stories with with um, Megan Day and, and Mikey Utrecht in, in their book as well, because I think mm -hmm. they move in the same circles. Um, you know, that the idea would be from from here, you now start to enter into a different phase. Right, you start to enter into what maybe would be known as a rank and file phrase, where, where you start to uh, see organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America. Like, obviously, history is not mm. you know written; you can't predict the future. But you know, and DSA could go the wrong direction. There's some tendencies in there that I'm not mm. a big fan of myself. But I think you know, if you start to see an organization like that. Um, you know, potentially um, enter into the workplace, uh, helping to organize yeah. um, on the shop floor. Find where there's nascent energies that are already oriented towards the left. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, 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 there's something. There's an opportunity to be, to be reaped there. There's a, there's a possibility that you're going to be able to create something that would actually be. The only real stopgap that I can imagine that would prevent something happening like what happened after Super Tuesday moving forward, which is that you would have your own movement, your own major figures that you could kind of um, deploy that would basically be able to tell Elizabeth Warren to get out of the race at a certain point in time, right? Yeah, like, I'm quite crude about this, I think, in in a number of ways. that yeah. for, for me, it's, it's almost the... <sighs> As soon as Bernie is is willing to sort of accept accept the possibility of of a, of a character like Biden um, within the Democratic Party, that really saps the movement of a lot of its energy. That's a really, a, I think, kind of yeah. almost a capitulation because it's like for for most people, what's the real difference between Biden and Trump? I mean, oh, sorry, not not for most people, but for maybe for for many Bernie supporters. And I mean, maybe that was always a limitation that was inherent within within the Sanders campaign. Um, but I think it's, you know, I mean, you can put it in a number of different ways, but I think that's, that's the, that is, is, is a real limit that there wasn't an, an, an ability to sort of say, well, actually this is a real, 
But, you know, this is a really different form of politics. And this is and I think Bernie has a number of strengths as a movement politician um, and personally very likable. But if 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 you're operating within the constraints of the, the kind of establishment Democratic Party, and that's ultimately proved by tacking behind Biden, then it's a then it's a really I don't know, it's 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 important, I think, not to get too invested. Well, it feels to me not to get too invested in in Bernie, because that was probably always the end point that we were going to see within kind of American left populism. One of the I, I, I'd like to sort of answer that or respond to that with an anecdote, if I may. Um, I used to live in Columbus, Ohio. I, I lived there for eight years and I was in Ohio for 10 years. Um, and um, like many people after 2016, um, you know, I'd never have heard of the DSA before, but I um, suddenly did become aware of it. And as I had mentioned earlier on, I was on sabbatical in Ireland for the election. But when I when I moved back, um, it was clear there was a lot of momentum for this organization. And so I joined, I signed up and I became a member of the Columbus chapter and I met some great people there and I, I, I'm still in touch with a few of them. Um, but um, I uh, was uh, reading an article in Politico earlier on this year by Tim Alberta. This came out like, I think in March. And it was right before the South Carolina vote. And um, it was a series of interviews in a piece um, Tim Alberta had written after a weekend hanging out with DSA Columbus members, right? So I knew some of these names. I knew some of these faces that he was interviewing. Just just random coincidence, I suppose, that he'd chosen Columbus. He could have chosen Cincinnati or Cleveland, right? But... Um, what was very, very interesting were two things. One is that the the members, very young often, uh, but these members were um, of a mind that uh, the point was not to necessarily run a Bernie campaign, that there was a longer term strategy that needed to be in play. And I think, you know, in some ways, great. It's lovely to see and it's important to see that focus on a longer term strategy. The problem and the concern that I had was that, that whole time in that interview, right? It was never expressed what it meant for the left to have a strategy of entering the state or to engage with the working class in a national strategic sense or that it was even a priority. Instead, it was very much this kind of, you, you guys talk about this kind of thing on your show sometimes, like this sort of focus on folk politics, on localism. Mm. And, um, you know, there, there was yeah. there was just this one quote that stood out to me. I'll, I'll read it for you if I if I may, yeah, and yeah. You can, if it's do. relevant. It's, it's from a young lady, I won't mention her name. I, I've never met her, so there's no point. But in the piece, people can check it out in Politico. It's, again, it's by Tim Alberta. She says, we've been building this movement to exist outside of electoral politics. Listen to that, right? We've been building this movement to exist outside of electoral politics. Yeah. This campaign is one fight for us, but the bigger battles for social change will go on regardless of what happens with Bernie, she said. That's why we should focus on local politics anyway. It doesn't matter who the president is. We need to build local organizations oh, okay. that have a longer lasting impact than electing one president. To me, these housing ordinance fights in Columbus are just as important as Medicare for all because it's an issue we see affecting people's lives here every single day. So guys, don't get me wrong. Like I, on the one hand, I do think that sort of stuff like fighting for 
property issues or housing issues is is super important. Um, but on its own, you know, unalloyed to any kind of electoral strategy, all you're doing there really is just trying to shift the Overton window, right? And mm. I think the game of power in American politics today is much more is about much more than um, just uh, you know trying to legitimize certain discourses, right? The, totally. You yeah. know, the, the lesson of the anti-war movement still lingers very heavily in my mind. I was already living in this country back then, and I saw how quickly it disappeared. And I don't think DSA is quite as bad as that, but I mean, uh, it's not a very big organization and it's a very fragile organization in that sense to me. You know, it can it can come and go quite quickly. Right. You know, I mean, and, so, uh, and, so, yeah, please, can I just ahead. interrupt? I mean, this seems to be getting to the nub of it because there seems to be this false dichotomy that you have either, uh, you know, you play the electoral game and very directly target the presidency, you know, not even just mm. we're going to put candidates down ballot across the country. It's we're going to win the presidency through Bernie. Uh, and on the other, you have, oh, well, you know, that didn't work. We need to go back to like local uh, initiatives and, and we're not interested in electoralism. And I, there's obviously something in between those. And, and it's not just an either or. Uh, it seems to me that what you end up with, or rather, let me let me put it this way instead. Starting from the Guasatella piece, for instance, you know, he makes the argument that you know we need to have, be patient. Uh, this was always maybe a long shot, uh, and so on. Which I I don't entirely buy that because there's a lot of people very enthusiastic about the possibility that Bernie might indeed win the presidency, I, myself included. Yeah. So I, I think that's yeah. I think that's um, a bit of um, what's the word you know, kind of after the fact, kind of trying to justify it. But, um, but you know, it, fine. If you, you say we need to be patient, we need to build a movement, uh, this Rome wasn't built in a day, fine. But at the same time, dismissing the possibility of building a third party because, well, that's just oblivion and we need to target the presidency immediately. And it's like, well, that seems to be a contradiction there. I'm, if you're going to preach patience and the slow build towards socialism, cool, I'm on board. But then you have to be willing to countenance other possibilities. So to put to sum it up in a in a different way, it, like yeah. it seems that you want clarity of aims, i.e., socialism, or at least movement or party building, and a strategic flexibility, which is willing to be opportunistic in in different ways uh, towards that goal. So you know, if if a run to the presidency through Bernie might build the movement, cool, go for it. And what ended up happening is you got it backwards. So you ended up with a lack of clarity of aims, where where the kind of socialism is abandoned uh, to the narrow ends of electoralism with a strategic inflexibility where you're like, well, we're going to stick to the Dems no matter what. And Bernie is going to endorse the candidate, even if he's a shitbag like Biden. And it's like, well, that that leaves a bad taste in the mouth, doesn't it? It's it's a it's a great question. Um, I wish I was I'm simply saying I wish I was better qualified to to answer it. But my understanding of his response uh, as it would be in the piece is that, look, you know, you 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 have a very long history of in this country of trying to, ineffectively trying to run third parties the best that the left has ever done in this country for example in the franklin Delano roosevelt administration um, was through mobilizing to pressure progressively oriented democratic politicians right uh, that you know in a sense th that that the reforms that you can implement that way um, tend to be the ones that 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 shift the entire game um, leftwards and give you new opportunities. So it, I guess this is kind of a strategy that is adaptable and flexible depending on where you are. When you're very weak, you don't 
um, you know, uh, put all your eggs in the basket of a third party. Uh, it doesn't make any sense because you don't get anywhere with it. When you see momentum, when the, the, the sort of opportunity comes along, you'd be a fool to miss it, right? So the momentum developed around Bernie, like a lot of people, you know, whatever, more micro elements of the left, whatever in the US, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, they would have been very um, much to me looking like they were sitting on the fence and throwing rhetorical hand grenades and and you know it it it, it didn't yeah. strike me as very persuasive and it didn't strike me as as having a very serious attitude towards actually advancing the cause of mm-hmm. left-wing politics in this country um now down the road of course once you have some kind of momentum uh once you have your fdr in office maybe there's a, an argument for potentially running a more extreme candidate then, you know, mm. via a third party. But I just, yeah. and, and so it's not, I'm not anti-third party per se. I just don't, I'm not seeing how it yeah. would work in the United well, States context I'm, right I'm, now. No, that, that's, you know, that's fine. I think that's a legitimate point of view. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have made my mind up about it, but I think what's, yeah. what's I think one telling moment was in the discussion when Bernie sim- still seemed to have a, a real chance was that, you know, once Bernie gets in office, do you try to push him leftwards, which I interpreted to mean get him to make more promises and to make, you know, f- more kind of extreme policy, um, well, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's to get him to commit to open yeah. borders or to whatever, uh, or do you mm-hmm. defend him from attacks from 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 the right? And I thought that's just gets that neither of those. I mean, you know, you can try to do both of those, but the, but the, that's surely is completely missing the point. The fact is that Bernie himself would be tempted to backslide and to tempted to compromise and to end up as a kind of bog stream. Bo, excuse me, bog stream. Uh, <laughs> what is that? Bog stream. The one. It's not the mainstream. It's the bog stream. You know, when you go to the bog and there's a stream. <laughs> it's a very very vivid image, but not a nice one. Uh, I'll start that again. No, the the um. Ends up as a bog standard mainstream Democrat, uh, and so the 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 need would be from those outside, you know, formal politics, uh, you know, whether it's a DSA or whatever, to hold him to account and make sure that he implements his relatively limited promises that he did make, and and everyone's going discussing no whether we should just defend him from attacks or whether we should push him leftwards as if he would have a free ride once he's in the presidency. And that seemed to me, that whole discussion, that whole debate seemed to misunderstand the nature of the po- of power and how improbable it is to have a kind of democratic socialist president and, and just allow him, you know, the keys to the uh, palace. Can I, you know? can I jump in there with a counter question? Yeah, yeah, go I'm for just, it. Go for I'm it. not, who, who are these people having this debate? I'm not, I, I don't know if I see anyone saying that he should be just defended from the right or pushed from the left. I mean, I think the voices, serious debate that voices in Alex's head, I think, ultimately. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, the, but the, the, the debate, it's, as I see it, just to be clear, the debate is about where we go from from here, Bernie or not. Um, the reality is the, the, the major reason Bernie did not do better and i and, and i've been nuanced throughout all of this i mean i've, I've tried to show no, make in, it my brutal stumbl- and Tell in, us. In, in my own stumbling bumbling way here uh, uh um uh, you know i'm just a an, an irish boy from a sheep farm <laughs> you know I, I, <laughs> offering commentary on on american politics here but you know the um the, the, i've tried to show in a nuanced way you know that there were various things that happened along the way at the micro level 
um, the, the tactical level, if you will, that um, really played out strongly against Bernie. And I don't think you'll ever be able to kind of um, um, fully iron out the randomness of that, right? Like there's going to be tactical uh, opportunities that come up that you weren't expecting, and mm-hmm. there's going to be problems that come up along the way that you weren't expecting as well. I'm getting a little Don, Donald Rumsfeld here, so for, forgive me. Let's just roll <laughs> with it, okay? The, the the unknown unknowns, but the um the, the strate- strategically, I think it's very clear what went wrong. You know, once you leave the tactical level and you enter into the strategic, I mean, what's what's very clear is that the left in this country doesn't have an electoral strategy, precisely because it doesn't have its own party surrogate structure and the only way to really address that right the only way to get those surrogates on the television that you see speaking for biden all the time or speaking for warren all the time the only really way to to grow those and build those i think is from a rank and file organizing strategy and we're pretty far away from having that it used to be the case that this country had it a lot more but i think right now uh Mm. it's, it's not there and I would even add one further factor here, yeah. which is that, you know, I, I, I'm I very clear. I'm team Jacobin, whatever, all the way. I, I totally agree with those guys that, you know, going back to the working class, going back to labor is critical. That's the only r- real power source that's going to carry us into the White House and, and get the change that we want to see. But even building that in its own right, will create change because you don't actually need a democratic president in the white house necessarily you don't need a bernie sanders in the white house necessarily i think uh, to, to make that difference to uh, you know that there's there's other ways well, you know using specifically, the strike specifically on this, that point then please go um, for, yeah. how do you what do you think i mean so what are your predictions what's going to happen um so Bern, you know um we're not in the we're not in the the hypothetical world that Alex sketched out of um, how how you might interact with the Bernie presidency or how one might interact with the Bernie presidency. What are your predictions for what's going to happen? And particularly, how do you see COVID playing out? How do you see COVID? Um, how does COVID affect the chips when they fall? Um. Well, that's a lot in there. Um, it's meant to be just a just a you know have a shot at it because I think we're all going to be wrong, right? We're I mean, all, I think that's yeah, we're all, in the substance of it, we're all going to be wrong. We're all going to so. make the predictions, but yeah, I mean, you just can... your basic at this point in time, what your basic you know what's your gut instinct telling you is going to happen in November? Mm. You can put money on it, but you don't have to. <laughs> right. Look, um, coronavirus, DSA, China. I mean, these are the things that are (laughs) on my mind right now. I know, right? So uh, I think just looking at the job figures that came out today, uh, it's clear that something like in some states, you have up to 25% of the workforce unemployed right now. You know, this is a disaster. Um, I don't think the, uh, the, the impact of this has been priced in yet. Um, Trump is reopening the economy as we speak. Um, Texas is going to be reopening partially, I think, as and from tomorrow. And uh, that's where I live. And so obviously I'm worried about that. Um, Now, look, I mean, there's different things to sort of factor in here. On the one hand, there was a great piece in Jacobin there in the last few days by Ben Burgess, where he was basically saying, look, um, maybe the left shouldn't be as critical of these gun-toting 
um, protesters that are showing up at shopping centers yeah. demanding their haircuts. That I mean, everyone's seen the videos of these yeah. guys, and everyone knows that the the kind of the dominant cultural response has been quite caustic uh, towards mm. them. But of course, they raise a point, and yeah, it's a good and, piece. And the point is, yeah, ordinary working class people do. Um, you know, need to be able to pay their rent. And, you know, while a lot of credit card companies are saying, oh, you don't have to pay your credit card this month, you you know, these are all postponements of debt owed. These are not cancellations of debt owed. And so depending on how long this goes on, um, it is great that people are getting a little relief, but it's, you know, the, the, the bump at the end of this thing where all this rent and all this, these, these debt payments are suddenly due is going to be, uh, insane, right? I mean, it's it's going to cause a cataclysmic effect on um, the flow of credit in the country. I I would think, unless of course mitigation strategies are put in place, but I don't see those coming from the Trump administration as of right now. So I don't think the economic thing is going to be looking great. Um, I think Trump is going to be in trouble because of that. I think people are going to be looking for alternatives. Um, and uh so you, you think know, biden tr- has a chance because of the economy yeah it won't but it, see this is the thing it's biden right so like yeah. biden anyone opposing trump has a chance yeah. um you know a, a wet sock has a chance <laughs> against trump in this economy in the in the in the in the in the economy that i predict we're going to have yeah. of course i might be wrong but uh we don't know what you know where the biden thing goes i i i i have a funny feeling if you'd asked me this two weeks ago i might have had a different answer but i have a funny feeling that the um the sexual harassment stuff isn't going to go away i think i think there's momentum going to be gained out of that and uh, by the time the convention comes around it's not clear the polling looks good for biden right now um, I think in the head to head, but Biden's personal ratings are not great at all. Yeah. So George, what's your prediction? Well, I think I've said this before, that the, the real issue for Trump is what his campaign actually is about. I mean, when you've had four years of doing that, haven't you had a bit of time to, to drain the swamp? Um, but I still think the most likely outcome is is going to be Trump, a Trump Biden face off, um, not like the film Face Off. Uh, would be more. <laughs> it should be like the film like Face that. Off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there there'll be less Nicholas Cage than there should be, um, and I, I, I you know, I have, I have money, I have, I have money on um, on Trump uh, winning again, which is not necessarily what I want to happen, but but now I have a financial interest in it. Maybe, maybe it is. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I think that's that. That's what I see happening in uh, Alex, in, in November. Uh, I mean, I think there's something tragic, tragic comic about Trump, uh, Biden ending up president, and I think it's evocative of the decline of the American empire. That somehow, you know, you have this cataclysmic event and, <laughs> and you end up with Biden in the presidency. But I, I, so for that I still reason, don't see you it. can see it. Uh, no, 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 I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but, and, you know, maybe it's this type of irony that our times deserve, but, uh, but I, I, I would still bet on, I would still bet on Trump, you know, squeezing by. Yeah, I think I would too. Um, I, I suppose the real question is, um, as Nick raised, what happened, what happens at the convention? Um, partly for the, re, you know, the sexual allegations, I think when Nick said is right, they're not going to go away. 
I think the um, the sheer kind of um, the sheer insanity of putting up a man who's so visibly um, decaying like Biden against Trump will continue to just become more and more obviously um, problematic as a political strategy. So it's uh, I think perhaps I mean, I'd still say Trump, but uh, that's contingent on, I suppose, what happens at the Democratic Convention. And if they do decide that they're going to replace Biden or if Biden steps down or whatever happens. So we got- just come in with one last question on that. Actually, sure. Phil, yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, sure. If um, the Democrats were to pull a kind of a fast one at the convention and swap Biden out for someone else. Please let it be uh, Hillary. <laughs> I don't know, man. But here's the thing. Like. They lose automatically, don't they? Because that's an, un, unless unless there's like it looks some, like shenanigans. You mean it looks like absolute shenanigans? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I just don't um, unless that's there's some point. kind of like genuine like I mean if 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 Biden were to stroke out and like just simply not be able to function and like it was a legitimate story, which you know who knows, um, then of course I think maybe it looks different right like then then you could cruise out of the convention with a with with a, a consensus candidate um that represents the finest traditions of the american liberal class uh, an obama type figure a patrician noble public speaker maybe maybe obama's mm. maybe um, obama as vp for hillary as the presidential candidate <laughs> oh, yeah or or, or obama's um, michelle obama uh, might yeah. be yeah. Someone like that, but but I, either way, it, it would have to be this kind of person that would you know completely appeal to MSNBC, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you might get a victory out of that, right? If it if it if it if it was someone who could really bring a coalition together, um, Biden in on paper does bring that coalition together in some ways, but just not this Biden, right? Like not not Biden. Yeah, in his present but state, but he's, he's failed a uh, bunch of times before too. So I'm not sure if previous. Yeah, Bidens but either. that was like 25 years ago or something, wasn't it? Or even 50 years ago? When was his last presidential? I, can't I don't recall, even remember. Yeah, it was a long time ago that Biden last tried to mount a presidential campaign, and and of course, look, I'm not defending him. I'm just saying like that that he has uh, potential, or he would have had maybe once upon a time a certain potential. Certainly, I think in 2016, he would have done a lot better. Um, than Hillary for sure, um, but if if it's if it's if it's just a bait and switch that takes place at the convention, and if it looks like nonsense or shenanigans, chicanery, I don't uh, I don't rate the Democrats' chances at all, and I think they would be better off leaving Biden where he is and just limping along. The decline yeah. of the American empire continues apace. Yeah, very well, much. Yeah, sure. That's, that's yeah. a great place to leave it. Um, we've gone on for longer than we expected, actually, but I think that's testimony to um, how um, interesting and wide-ranging the discussion's been. So thank you very much, Nick, for joining us. Yeah, yeah cheers, Nick. Guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, and we'll be back with uh, another check-in on, on the United States to see how they're all doing over there uh, in about six weeks' time uh, in another Mr. Bunga Goes to Washington. But for now, that's it. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.